You are listening to selfdiscoverymedia.com, where illumination and inspiration is but a click away. With so many genre topics for you on everything that you need to know in life, we celebrate and share the people who have taken the journey before you and who are now here to serve you with their wisdom and their knowledge. The next show coming up is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition for the love of music right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and I have a very special guest for you here today, Darius Rubeck, Brubeck, and his beautiful jazz music. We're going to be playing some of his music intermittently through the show and closing out with it. But it's that kind of music that just gets you quietly into the groove. You find your shoulders start moving, the hips start swaying, it relaxes you, it takes you into a different place. It's not this kind of get up and boogie type music. It's music that really kind of speaks to the heart and the soul. Gets you into the groove of life, you know, following that wave. And it really, really is very, very cool. Now, Darius comes to music very, very well from his dad, Dave Brubeck. Take five, you might have heard of that before, one of my favorites. So he grew up in the musical world. And um, why did he choose the piano? Why jazz? What influence did his dad have? Where has he gone around the world? He's literally just come back from Russia. And he has a new album coming out live in Poland. And we're going to be talking all about that. Plus his years in South Africa, uh, teaching and playing and influencing other musicians. So let's get right to it and introduce Darius. Hello, Darius. Welcome to the show. Hello, Sarah. Wonderful to have you here. I've been listening to your music. We've been listening to your music in the car. And uh, I have a little 86-year-old uh, landlady. And she, as she's driving, she's bobbing her head to the music. <laughs> it's just, it's, I call groovy music in the sense that it gets you into a groove. It gets you into a state of being. But let us wind back. Influence from your dad. You obviously grew up with music. And yes. music was something right from the word go for you. And not everybody who grows up with this and with a famous dad goes on to becoming a musician themselves. When was it that you knew that music was so important in your life? Those are kind of two different questions. Well, I sense the question within that is when did I know I would be a professional musician? And, and I would say quite late in, in, in life you know, after I'd graduated from university. But as far as music being important in, in life, if you can uh, think of it in those terms, it, it, it was just a natural uh, part of life. It was uh, very important in, in the sense that uh, both my uncles were also musicians, my grandmother, my, my uh, father's mother, was a classical pianist and, and you know, she visited often. Um, my father's adult friends who came over to rehearse with him, obviously. Um, you know, so, so we, when I say we, I'm from a family of six kids, I'm the eldest. Um, so we, we grew up thinking that uh, music was so much a part of life that that's just what you did when you grew up. We mm -hmm. didn't necessarily think of it occupationally. Mm -hmm. Just so you slide into, did you study music at university? Um, 
Yes and no. Again, the you know the obvious thing uh, would have been like to go to a conservatory and 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 learn to be a great pianist. I didn't do that. I went to a liberal arts uh, university called Wesleyan University, and I studied ethnomusicology. Now, this was back in the 60s when this was a very, very new thing. Now, it sounds sort of like a big mouthful, but um, ethno, if you break it down, ethnomusicology, it's a combination of musicology and anthropology. So it's observing um, music in society, music, um, as a part of life in, in, in different cultures, how this manifests, how, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. So there was, you know, a lot of history and a lot, you know, a lot of that kind of thing, not, not a lot of practical work at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about it, actually, um, music has been the common language, hasn't it? You know, it doesn't matter whether somebody could actually speak a language or not. Music was something that always brought people together and is a language in itself. And throughout history, music has been used in all religions uh, and a way of bringing people together, but also a statement in many ways, hasn't it? So knowing the history of music, I think, gives us a better understanding on how to listen to it. Or, or to play it, whichever way one wants to go. Well, in, in my case, because I ended up being a player after all, um, you know, it was, it, it was really both things. And um, you're certainly right. Uh, music is, is universal. There's no culture that doesn't have music. And also music communicates very well mm. um, across cultures. We may not know. <laughs> you know, having said that, one of the interesting things is like if you listen to Chinese opera or pygmy music or, you know, something very exotic, very different from ours, we, we may not appreciate it in the same way as people who grew up in that culture. But the amazing thing is that we still process it as, as music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, without going too deep into science, I don't understand. I've only read a couple of books about this. Uh, but, you know, from Oliver Sacks, for instance, who was a, a great uh, neurosurgeon and uh, researcher on, on brain and also a very, very good classical pianist, really well qualified, did studies that, that proved that, that music is as inbuilt as part of our brain and as specific as language and other abilities of that. And um, music may even be older than language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's possible that that's the case. That well, what's, might- the, you know, what's the language in a way? I mean, the drums, the beat, you know, um, it, there's, there's also um, other studies now to show how music actually in therapy works so well and that the reason why it helps people in depression a great deal because it literally does raise your frequency it raises up your vibration and so you know you can find yourself in a mood or or down and you just don't even know why or maybe you're angry who knows what state of being you're in and you put on that right piece of music and it just mellows you right out or it just equilibriums you 
to such a state. So music is such a, a wonderful therapy, never mind communication and an uplifter, but just a fantastic therapy as well. And being able to dive into different types of music as well, not just getting stuck into one groove, right? Right, yeah, yeah, certainly. Glitches. Um, why the piano? I know the piano is very dear to you, you play it beautifully, but well, why you. piano? Well, I guess that's, a, that's very simple. Is my, my father played piano and I'm the eldest, and um, it's also the ideal instrument for uh, composition. I do a lot of composing, and um, my earliest ambition as a musician, and, and this does go back to, it somewhat contradicts some of the things I said earlier, but I, I didn't see myself as a player, but I did see myself as potentially a composer. So, you know, if you have two hands and a keyboard in front of you, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to work things out. Um, there are very skilled violinists or whatever who, who can perfectly well compose, but it's, it's just a great tool to, to have. And you hear really the full range of the orchestra and then some, mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole gamut of, of the keyboard. So that, that's, that's a, a good answer to why the piano, I think. You've never been tempted to go into something else? Um, no, I've been more than tempted. When I was a teenager, the way to be popular was to play guitar. So <laughs> of course, I did. of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, before that, when I was just in um, elementary school, I took up trumpet because that was the way to be in a band. You, <laughs> you can't really be in a school band as a, as a pianist. I mean, maybe nowadays you can, but it, there was a much narrower spectrum of, of, of music available in schools then. So, you know, I, I really liked both of them, but I don't think there was ever any question that, piano would always dominate, you know. The, with the other instruments, let's put it this way, it would be like being right-handed all your life and just deciding that it would be fun to do some things as a lefty. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're... <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a limited ability, um, and it's helped, it's helped my, my, my piano playing, ultimately. You know, you, you, you just get a different perspective by learning another instrument. But I, I don't even own a trumpet now. Um, right. and I never play guitar. I own one, and I kind of like the sound of it, but that's about it. Don't you think there's a connection between the instrument? You know, I, I interviewed a, um, a wonderful gentleman, a saxophonist, who's been playing for over 30 years. You know, I always say the saxophone is the saxophone because it's <laughs> such a beautiful central instrument. And, mm. you know, I've heard it on, on your quartet as well. And um, that I think an instrument and, and the player become one that is an extension of your intention. And that I think it's, it's a marriage between you, know, you and the instrument. Well, so with instruments that, that you can own and carry around with you, like saxophones, that's the way it should be. And that's why, um, well, you mentioned uh, my quartet, Dave O'Higgins. He's a fantastic player. Mm -hmm. and he, he has invested a lot of time and money in you know, collecting instruments. He knows uh, 
you know, he can maybe tell you more than you really need to know about mouthpieces, microphones, <laughs> the, the whole thing. But yeah, it's 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 very important to him. And while he would sound good playing any instrument, he's developed a relationship, as as you say, with you know, with the tenor sax that he plays and the soprano that he plays, and it's very important to him that you know, it is an extension of his personality. And um, Matt Ridley, the, the bassist, um, well, I'm, I'm talking about the group now. But, yeah, please um, do. Yes, let's introduce the group. Yeah, so Matt's um, been through a few different basses basis since uh, joining the group, but it's, it's, it's always interesting, you know, to hear him, you know, talk about it and we're setting up on stage and you'll say, well, you know, this is more of an orchestral bass or this is more of a jazz bass. Um, the um, instrument he has now is a, you know, very fine uh, Czech bass that, um, you know, but it is it, it is a process of, I guess, instrument discovery can also be a kind of self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Wesley, the drummer, has all all drummers here. All, <laughs> this is this is the album. You see, he's got a cymbal bag. Right. They they always carry their their own cymbals. It's usually too much of a schlep to uh, bring a whole drum kit with you, but you can um, take along your cymbals and sticks and, you know, maybe a snare, you know, the smaller parts of a, a, of a drum kit, some small percussion instruments. So, you know, so that's a whole thing. And there's a real art to having a consistent sound when you're a drummer going from one drum set to another to another and and one kit to another but he knows how to tune them and he adds his own you know his own smaller stuff which tends to be of course the more high pitch things so those are the things you really hear um, quite distinctly in in the whole musical texture I mean, it's the same. It's the same with you. That when you go with piano, you're not taking your piano, you know, on the I plane can't. with you. You know, so you go in and you. The piano is probably differently tuned to the way you want it. Well, it should be uniformly tuned, but uh, but every instrument, it's a physical thing. It's not mm-hmm. a synthesizer. So everything affects it: temperature, humidity, mm-hmm. how old it is, mm-hmm. the last person who played it. It can yeah. be perfectly in tune. It, it should be, um, you know, if you're giving a concert. And, and you can minimize the amount of uh, variation by saying, well in, well, in my case, I always want a Steinway D if I can get one, but not everyone has one. Mm-hmm. So um, you learn to, to... Adjust. Yeah, yeah, you, you adapt. And sometimes... Uh, other things other than the instrument um, in the case of a pianist become more the signature elements because oh well the sound on on the CD is is a different piano than because it was recorded in Dave O'Higgins studio then the sound you would get if, if we recorded here and that again will be different from the live sound you'll hear on the live in Poland album but I think you can still tell it's me. Right. So it's, a, it, it's a different kind of 
relationship. I think if you're a musician, you're going to understand there's different bases, you know, like the there are. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a musician. You know, that, that each piano has its own, quote, signature. You would have to really be a fine-tuned musician to be able to pick that up, which, uh, you know, the general population is just really, it's about the music. And really, when you're thinking about the music, it's how does it make you feel? Because yeah. quite it is, it's all about feeling, isn't it? Music. You're you're expressing your feelings through the music, and you're inviting other people to feel something because of it. Yeah, um, you should try always as a as a performer to um, not only do a perf. <laughs> It's a, it's a kind of tricky thing, but I, I, you know, I see the sort of territory you, you, you want to get in. There's, a, if you're, if you're really, if if you're playing for a live audience, you're you're trying to unify that audience. You're trying to uh, uh, tune them to the same um, wavelength. Yeah, wavelength. <laughs> yeah, sometimes literally wavelength yes. that, that you're on. So. Um, in some ways, it's like acting, and I don't mean acting as in pretending. I mean that um, if I'm playing a song like "Sea of Troubles," is is one of the tunes we recorded recently. It's a real down song, and you might recognize the phrase from Hamlet's soliloquy, where he's you know the to be or not to be mm -hmm. soliloquy. So he's thinking about you know whether it's uh, you know, really, whether to live or or not, um, which is the state where humanity is feeling at the present moment. So very <laughs> <Right>. apropos. <laughs> okay, so in that tune, I I really have to dump myself there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that 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 that's and you know, and the band goes there. But the whole point is is, is that we don't stay there by right. articulating this. Um, and it's also inherent in the composition. It is what makes it an effective composition. It comes from a very low place to uh, something that's a little, a little more open, a little less closed in, a little brighter. Um, it maintains a kind of sense of. Uh, anxiety or, or or even frustration but then gradually some some redeeming things come in and and, and music is is great our, our musical system is great with dealing uh, you know as, as an emotional language you can you can really get all of those um, affects and when you just talk about them it sounds like you're moaning <laughs> well, well, like you're, it sounds a little contradictory or sounds, you know, like maybe you're trying to do a soundtrack, but it's not that it's, it's, it, it's more, it's more direct. If you're, if you're talking about something, that's one thing. If you're feeling it and expressing it, it does take it to a different level. And um, so whether you're talking about, you know, something really gorgeous and huge and long-lasting like uh, Mahler Symphony or something on a much more modest scale like my Sea of Troubles, you're, 
you're going on a, on a journey and, and, and it's important to understand that the musicians aren't just doing it as a demanstration. They're, they're <laughs> we're, we're not pretending that right. this is happening. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're there. We're, we're, yeah. we're living. That's, that's what, what you learn to do after you, of course, have mastered the, the technical side that right. enables you to do that in the first place. Well, that's what we're always looking for, isn't it? You know, when you watch any competition, they say, yes, that was technically perfect, but where's the feeling? Where's mm -hmm. the connection? And we're always looking for that connection. And, you know, having a song that represents the times that are in trouble. And, you know, I've just done a couple of shows this week on, uh, on social um, depression, you know, and how it's quite rampant around the world right now. And we need to recognize that with people. You know, it's not about, oh, let's just be positive and let's cheer you up. It's connecting with them where they are and helping them go through the process to lift themselves out of it and be able to see life in a different way. A lot of the time people think that it's the words in the music that do that. And yes, many often, you know, many times a song and the words really connect. For me, it's always the music. The music is what's going to take me on the journey. The music is what's going to ignite a feeling within me and kind of translate something, whether it's going to uplift or have me be aware. But it's, I'm always about the music. The words are great, but I don't always remember them. But the music, I will. Because mm. the music, I think, is something that really, it bypasses the programming in the head. And I think it goes straight to the heart and the soul of us. And it speaks to how we feel inside out that very, very often we simply don't have words for. <laughs> yeah, right. Or if we had words for everything, we might not have music. And right. you know, vice versa. <laughs> they're, they're, they're different. The, the, these are different faculties. Um, mm -hmm. they, work, they work well together, but they are independent. Yes. And yes. I mean, that's... As of, to refer to what we were talking about earlier, that's a neurological fact, mm -hmm. but it's all, it, it just shows the, the, the great diversity of um, ways we have of apprehending and influencing the world, how the world comes to us, how we mm -hmm. uh, put ourselves into the world. And, you know, when you talk about, um, well, again, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to an, an, another composition, which, which you have, Earthrise, yes. when you talk about lifting out of uh, a, um, you know, kind of down state. I think nothing, nothing does that better than getting a sense of perspective, a sense of scale, a sense of, uh, you know, where you are, um, relative to um, history, the cosmos, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, not to, not, uh, you know, and not to belittle oneself, but, right. you know, just that we're, um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we, we get amazingly uh, concerned about things that maybe don't have to upset us so much or may not last very long, mm -hmm. uh, that, that sort of thing. And, I wrote a piece called Earthrise after seeing, this is quite old now, uh, but there was a photograph that was taken by NASA, the National Space and Aeronautics uh, Administration, of planet Earth rising up over the horizon of the moon. And you can clearly see 
the perspective is from the moon and you can see earth looking the way it does if you have if you have a world globe in <laughs> in your library or something you can see kind of the shape of north and south america in in the distance and um in concerts i sometimes talk about having this perspective and 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 it's a it's a many layered thing. I mean, there's there's obviously there's a great concern about climate change, and about uh, you know and the latest slogan uh, is there's no planet B. Right. Certainly, exactly. certainly yeah. worth bearing in mind. So it has that layer, which is a layer of concern. But also, I think if you see the whole world, you don't see any of the boundaries that are drawn on on maps. And you begin to grasp, um, you know, a wholeness that makes uh, disputes over nationality, migration, uh, religious and ethnic and uh, racial prejudice and so on, um, just seem irrelevant. You don't even have to talk about what's wrong with it. Uh, of course, all those things have bad social effects. That's down here on the planet. Right. And, and, and we have to do what we can. But also, you know, zoom out. And you see, you know, this is, this is just little stuff. And uh, when you see it that way, you need to see it both ways. You, 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 yeah. you know, you need to see both, both, both parts of your, of your, your brain, your imagination. But, I th but the last thing it is, is, is depressing. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're you're going to um, you know seeing things from a distance doesn't mean being alienated. It just means getting a sense of of, of scale. Yeah. You know, yes. and scales are time scales and in space. E minor scales. On <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it was it was it a picture like that 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 brought the music to you? You know, where do you get your inspiration from? Is it from seeing that and getting that perspective that really was so small, <clears throat> and these boundaries don't mean anything when you look at it from above? Is that how the music then starts playing in your head? You know, from those type of things. Um, no, not exactly. I mean, it's I, it, it would be lovely if that were the case. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I'm, a lot of a lot of what I do, and I think any a lot of what any musician does um, in terms of composing is derived from knowledge of music. Generally, it's derived from other music that you've heard or musical devices that you, are, you that you think are effective, and probably a desire to. Um, you know, to use certain things at a, at, at a certain time. But that's saying no more than to say that writers are people who have read widely and have big vocabularies um, and are going to put things together. So something like that picture is a motive, mm -hmm. a motivation, um, and almost a trigger for something, okay, I want to... Uh, this song has, okay, for example, I think this is easy enough to understand if you hear the song. It has 
uh, long note values, which gives you a connotation of space and has uh, a repeated um, underlying rhythm, which is an odd, odd time rhythm, which is, uh, you know, I hope uh, a, a nice groove, uh, as you say, but it's not, it's not like sort of a loud backbeat, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dancing up and down kind of thing. Right. It's more, you know, more of a, a linear flowing kind of thing. The chords last a long time, but there's a lot of action within that. You know, because there's a lot of rotation in the universe, a lot of things yes. <laughs> flying around. Yes. yes. So, you know, all, all, all of that is there. But I think, you know, trying to get sort of a sense of distance and scale and, uh, you know, even a bit of numerology and that, uh, you know, there's, you know, the, the, the number seven, it's, a, you know, in a seven meter uh, but the overall structure is 12, uh, 12 bars, like, like the blues, but it doesn't use blues chords. So, you know, I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't want to, uh, on the one hand, pretend that it's a bigger thing than it really is, but I am also trying to reveal in a way that there's the special things about the, the musical language that, that do make it unique. You know, it depends on, on, on being knowledgeable about these effects, yes. but still something has to make you want to do it and give you an intention and uh, the ability to carry through on it. The igniter, right? Yeah. 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 You know, where's that inspiration coming from? Um, and, you know, let's talk about... Um, the Spanish piece as well um, because yeah. we have the three pieces here on, on the blog yeah. that people can listen to um, so tell us how that came about and you know this is different um, yeah. but what was that ignition there okay that's that's music that's derived from music um, I've ever, you know I said I, I went through a guitar period um, as a teenager I listened to a lot of flamenco um, which is just marvelous imp improvised music, um, Spanish guitar and, 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 and voice. And it's very improvised, but it's a completely different system than, than jazz. I also love the uh, great album, uh, Sketches of Spain which was a collaboration of Miles Davis and the great composer arranger Gil Evans. So, you know, obviously I really liked that. Um, I've always liked Chick Corea, who, um, the, well, I, I wrote in the Spanish mode, I think before he wrote My Spanish Heart, but um, Chick Corea all, always used what he had kind of inherited, um, you know, through his, his lineage. So there were all those things, and I just thought, okay, I can I can work with this. So this is music that comes from music. It doesn't come from an ex you know from from something external to music. But then on the other hand, what draws me to flamenco is is how expressive it is. Yes. How it is a different musical system. So then the challenge becomes, 
working with elements that I think people who have heard Spanish music will recognize. They'll say, oh, you know, I can, I can remember the bullfight poster I had in, in college <laughs> when I hear this, you know, or maybe they've been to Spain and maybe it reminds them of music they've heard. So there, there's a lot of that in, in music, music that refers to, um, in literature, you would call it intertextual. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't have exactly that kind of specific vocabulary in, in music, but it's music that has to do with music. And it's kind of saying, you know, great, this is an influence. I've taken yes. it on board. I understand how to use it now. I, I, I love it in the original. I'm not improving it I, mm -hmm. in any sense. That That is not the... Just reinterpreting. Yeah, and... and it gives me um, another palette, another yeah. range of expression that I wouldn't have if I didn't go into the Spanish mode. So, so there it is. Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's a lot like an artist, you know, may use watercolors and decide to go into oil paints, right? Yeah. You're going to take what you know and kind of your basic signature, but you're going to explore this avenue and see yeah. where it takes you. So you know, the thing is with music, you might be using the same instrument all over and over again, but of course the magnitude of all of those keys going together in, in different formations and the sounds that come out, and as you said, the pause and the gaps or the, the acceleration, it, it is quite wondrous, really, is how that mm -hmm. one instrument can, can produce so much. Yeah, oh, and speaking of one instrument, one of the uh, features in, in, in the Spanish mode is Matt Ridley does uh, a really, really good bass solo. Now, um, the connection is really, it's a string instrument, you know. I, <laughs> we don't have a, a, a guitar in the band, but you know, there, there are ways where, mm -hmm. even though it's a quartet and it's a very standard lineup, uh, saxophone, bass, drums, piano, that's, almost automatic you almost don't have to say it if you say you have a jazz quartet although it could be other things mm -hmm. obviously. but that that's the expectation but still within that you can orchestrate it you can yeah uh spotlight different instruments for different uh not only for different tunes but really i would say for different kinds of music so in the spanish mode we all play on it we all play the same amount of time on it but somehow the thing that gives it a particular focus is is the bass solo yeah again yeah, there is something about bass isn't it it's it's yeah. um you, you always feel like it, it's really grounding you you know it's really it, it just kind of it's a deep deep beautiful thing that kind of really connects you and it kind of very much like a heartbeat which i know the drums are as well but i think the bass definitely is mm -hmm. now um in 1976 you met my cousin Catherine, who <laughs> then became your wife that's right. That's and why you, we're talking here. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Continents, you know. And uh, you then moved to South Africa, to Durban. And, uh, and your life and around music changed quite considerably then. Let's uh, look at that journey. I mean, you know, from the States, you're now in England. Of course, you really do get around. But, yeah. you know, Durban, I lived in Cape Town and Johannesburg. And Durban is a totally different type of city. Very, very hot. Um, yeah. How did you find, you know, people accepting your music there? You know, because I think the time period that you were there, everybody was going into kind of the groovy bands, the Doors, the this, the that, etc. 
Um, did that influence your music at that time? Um, no, but you've, you've got the period slightly wrong. Uh, I did meet Catherine in uh, 1976, but it was 1983 when we moved to Durban. Right. And the reason we moved to Durban was I had a unique opportunity to like really um, it's very complicated to explain how this came about maybe maybe we won't explain it just say what what happened was I had the opportunity to uh, start a jazz studies program at a university and ironically in the whole of Africa there hadn't been a university level um, jazz studies program. The um, university music departments were pretty much colonial institutions who felt their job was to um, maintain, a, you know, a kind of beachhead for European culture in Africa. Um, you, you would recognize this from your experience in Cape Town. I mean, what, what, what Cape Town is very cultural place, but what did they have then? KPAM, they had a symphony orchestra, uh, wonderful uh, conservatory, really world-class South African College of Music, but they didn't have jazz. Um, so, Kathy and I went on the understanding that I would be doing this. I would be setting up a jazz course at what was then the University of Natal. It's now called the University of KwaZulu-Natal, post-1994, uh, 94 being the significant date that it is because that was the first democratic election in South Africa. The, um, the only way to do this was to really change admission policies. And again, I, I know this is going to be edited to some extent. I'll try to <laughs> make, it, make it simple. But what it meant was um, to have a jazz course, we, we, we needed to bring in African students who would not have been qualified uh, for university on any other grounds, except that they could play their instruments really well. And so this was like really challenging the whole, the, the whole system. Between 83, well, the first, um, 83, yeah, the, fir the, the, the first 10 years were the hardest. It, it took you know, really a lot of persistence to uh, make this work. Um, so that's what apartheid, you know, was happening. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, all of a sudden, you know, it, but there is that transition going on. So although now, you know, um, um, Africans and, and, and uh, uh, white people were meant to be equal, there was still the transition of everything going on. Um, so you were right there during that crutch there, trying to make yeah. a program happen. Right, and, and, you know, so we had to be very, in, and I say we because I can't, um, it'd be impossible to overstate how much uh, Kathy contributed to this, your, your cousin, um, because 
I was first and for, foremost a, a musician, a player, someone who had been out, you know, playing playing gigs, learning as fast as I could to also be an academic, and um, that means not only building up a knowledge base, it means really learning how to teach and communicate and learning how to work the system, learning how um, university administration works. And all, all, all of that was like very new to me. Maybe that was a good thing because I wasn't um, afraid to experiment and take chances that someone who, <laughs> someone else might have known better. Right, you know? yes. <laughs> I realized how impossible it, 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 it might have been. Right. Meanwhile, Kathy was uh, working behind the scenes, constantly trying to find ways to uh, fundraise for students so that we could actively recruit students. We can actually bring them into the program with funding uh, so that they could live and, and study. And that usually at first meant living with us, literally in our, in our house. <laughs> Um, for some period of time, and then, um, you know, other arrangements could be brought into place. The um, apartheid system was never as absolute as some people may think right. it was, um, but you had to work around it. There, 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 there were always ways you could, but but never easy ways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you, you could do it. If it was important to you, you could. And uh, there was certainly no excuse to not do anything. But you, you, had, to, you, you had to find ways of, of uh, getting housing and money and overcoming a very inadequate uh, secondary education system that is, uh, you know, high schooling and so forth. And um, we managed to do this, but one of the things that made it work so well was that because we were the first and only, we were the best and the worst. We were... <laughs> the we old. Were, yeah. So that meant that instead of just drawing on people locally, we were, you know, our, our, we were getting students from all over the country. And the reason they were coming was for the jazz course. They weren't the students who were already there and thinking, oh, it might be nice to play in the jazz band too. They were coming specifically for that. So they were very dedicated. A lot of them had significant professional experience and um, had never heard of there being formal jazz education and never thought that a university would offer it. But when we got the word out, and we did everything possible to do that. I was a radio DJ for a while, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. While teaching during the day, I was broadcasting at night. I was playing gigs when I wasn't on the air. I was uh, writing columns in the newspapers. Uh, looking back on it, I find it hard to believe we had that much energy. But, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We did. We, yes. you know, we, we did all when you're passionate enough about something, right? No. You're going to find that energy. Yeah. Now, the obvious question, which um, nobody's asked, but, you know, once, once the program goes out, people will say, yeah, but what were you doing in South Africa during 
the cultural boycott. You know, why, why did you go there in the first place? And um, the answer to that really is that we didn't, we didn't go there blindly. It wasn't, you know, I knew it wasn't like, okay, you can start a jazz course in Peru or, you know, it was a specific situation and the racial dynamics were very important. One had to be sensitive to all of that. Um, but Kathy um, was very well connected in the um, anti-apartheid movement in South Africa and externally. And we did consult with uh, uh, the ANC mission that had observer status at the uh, UN. We consulted with members of the PAC in London and New York. Um, as a musician, I was living this kind of cosmopolitan life anyway. So, you know, had access to um, these kind of people through through Kathy, who uh, was a big activist, uh, you know, very trusted. She was the national secretary of the uh, Liberal Party under Alan Payton until it was uh, disbanded. Um, and the feedback we got, and, and this really sustained us, you know, on the one hand, we had to um, fight the system, which sometimes meant not fighting, sometimes it meant diplomacy, sometimes it meant, you know, softly, softly, but just do, do what you have to do. Um, on the one hand, we had that, but on the other hand, we had to make sure that we had the support of, of the black community because um, otherwise it would just be almost normalizing apartheid. You're you know, right. that, 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 that was the risk. Yeah. Yeah. But we, but we, we, we came, you know, we man we managed to navigate through all of that by having very, very good students, very good musicians, forming groups, helping uh, helping the cause by really making ourselves very, very popular by <laughs> by having having some good bands and, and eventually uh, founding the Center for Jazz and Popular Music, which was a jazz club on campus with with a bar and a bandstand and uh, you know regular entertainment so that was from 83 to 2005 that that was like the center of of my career you might say yeah. and how much influence you know the african beat did that have to your music well um i wouldn't reduce it to beat but certainly african attitude a tremendous amount of influence. I mean, first of all, it was an honor as well as being a lot of fun to play with the uh, musicians who were there. And um, a while ago, I you know I, I I talked about well you know Spanish music. That's another thing. Now I didn't go as deeply by a long shot into Spanish music as I did into uh, uh, in, into African music. But, but it was 
easy. It was it was approachable because um, South Africans had built up their own form of jazz, and so they were like more than. I wasn't meeting them halfway. They were three quarters of of the way to where I was coming from. Anyway, I had to uh, simply um, learn how to appreciate. Uh, a certain attitude toward music, uh, you know, being open to different things. Um, I, I really learned the power of simplicity and how to um, get the most out of a simple idea. And, and an effective simile I, I once used in a lecture on South African music. Uh, Seemed, it seemed to work. I say it's effective because other people who've kind of looked at this area felt it expressed something. It, it was kind, it's kind of like working in primary colors. Um, you know, you're really upfront with the uh, emotional content. Your uh, shapes are going to be like really sharply defined and, 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 and contrasting. Uh, it's very, it, 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 it's a very direct sound world. And there isn't a lot of formalism involved. Right. More like you, 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 you try to get to, uh, um, you, music has a lot of repetition in it, but, uh, but that doesn't make it boring. It's more like you, you, you get to a point where where it won't get any better and, and, and stop, you know. Yes. You sort of, you know, once you re reach a plateau where you, you feel like you've connected all of the... Uh, Lots together. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the rhythm of the African music is just really wonderful, isn't it? It has such a beautiful flow to it, you know, especially um, when you hear them sing, you know, yeah. coming together. It is just, it's quite, you know, intoxicating in many ways, you know, because of that rhythm. And it's like building a crescendo, isn't it? But as you said, repetitive type rhythm, just gathering and gathering and gathering. Is that the same, the way they brought, you know, to the jazz? Kind of that building up? Yeah, yeah, uh, and No Mali, which is uh, the track that I sent you from... Which we're uh, going to close out the show with, for sure. Okay, that was composed by Hugh Masekela, and um, it may have even, I, I'm, if, if I'm right about this, it doesn't make a lot of difference, but I think he wasn't actually in South Africa at the time. I think he was in, in the U.S., and a lot of the uh, exile um, black musicians and, 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 and their audience um, had a lot of nostalgia for, um, uh, for Africa and kind of the, you know, the feeling of being there, the kind, you know, the closeness that uh, just doesn't exist if you're in Los Angeles or, yeah, or some some place like that, you know, where yeah. you have a, a flavor a of home. Yeah, yeah. A flavor of home, a village, a church, or yeah. a township, um, you know, where everyone knows everybody. 
So there's a lot of nostalgia for that in, in this music. Uh, and I think that's, um, you know, apparent in his composition and in our interpretation of it. I hope so. Um, it has a very positive energy. It's not, it, it's not just sad, but it's, uh, you know, it's a music of memory. It's a little bit about what's missing. Nostalgia, yes. Yeah, yes. And, and some flourishes of humor, of course, mm -hmm. because that was always there with Hugh and with Abdullah and with all the guys who came over to the States or, or stayed in England and, and, and France, a lot of uh, South African musicians left the country in the 60s and early 70s. Most of them went back because that's home. Yes, exactly. Um, a new home where they can now go and influence a new generation. You're um, writing a book on, um, on Africa, are you not? Kathy and I are writing a book together. And uh, if our marriage survives that, uh, <laughs> It can survive anything. Look what you guys have accomplished yeah, together. Yeah. So, yes, uh, it's a memoir of our time in uh, South Africa, and uh, it's a long period. There were a lot of changes. By the time we got to the end of our time there, all the things that were uh, problematic, that were, you know, sometimes even not to um, make it too dramatic, but some, you know, sometimes even illegal, certainly frowned on, certainly difficult, have now become quite normalized uh, yeah. in, yes. in university and society. Jazz education is in every university that has a music department in South Africa. It's really grown that much. Uh, most of those departments have either... Um, people who I taught, or even people who I taught, uh, taught. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know, the wonderful ripple effect, right? You know, being that pioneer and then seeing how it ripples out and, and becomes something uh, that's more of a norm. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been normalized, it's been accepted, and, um, and, and that, that, that's actually that's actually the legacy. It's, um, you know, it's not specifically anymore the, the, the music that I played or even the, the uh, um, specific program at University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban. It's the fact that now this, this is reality. It's, it's there. It's what people expect the uh, university to have, like an English department, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. The opportunity there is there now, yeah, and it wouldn't have been had you and Kathy not, you know, been willing to go down the rocky road yeah. to, to, to normalize it, you know, and through the tumultuous times, so for sure. Now, you have just come back from Russia. That's please, right. Yeah. Please tell us, what was that like over in Russia? Uh, well, it wasn't an extended tour. This was more like putting a toe in the water. Um, I think the and um, anyone who goes to 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 Russia would would confirm this. The the first impression is you really feel the the largeness of it, the power, the uh, you know the effect of you know it's 
it's just huge. Mo Moscow has uh, eight lane highways going through the middle of it. <laughs> you know, like it, not not just around the periphery. That's you know, so with these all these uh, historic buildings as well, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, but modern, modern, yeah. because you know, England's and I mean, all all you know, we we've we have reason to love all of the places that we've lived and visited. England specializes on and quaint and cozy, like the place we had dinner to, together. Yes, yes. wonderful and, little restaurant in Rye that was beautiful, thank you. Right, you know, medieval, uh, yes. low ceilings, mm -hmm. Shakespeare put on a show there. Russia, um, you get this huge monumental architecture. It's not very, well, Moscow anyway, I shouldn't mm -hmm. say Russia. It's not, it's not very pedestrian friendly, but, <laughs> uh, but but you have, you know, just marvelous, marvelous uh, architecture, uh, these huge Stalinist buildings, and then more traditional uh, uh, Orthodox churches, that, that kind of thing. Apparently, very wealthy country, and um, oh, when you know when I did a concert, the Darius Brubeck Quartet. We, you know, we we did a concert there. Now in in England, we play some you know pretty large venues, but it's jazz and it's mostly acoustic so you know it's not like we're playing Wembley Stadium or something right, you know, right. it is more of an but, intimate thing jazz anyway no. isn't it but their their intimate thing you know we had a thousand people you know <laughs> so it, I mean it, 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 it felt fine you know it's just but you have to you, you in fact I loved it but you, you have to adjust your scale accordingly everything right. is going to be you know magnified yeah, magnify, amplify. Um, and you could see why uh, this will seem kind of an odd thing to say. I'm not saying it from the point of view of accepting um, Russia's influence on American elections and things like that. I, you know, I, I wish that weren't the case. But I do understand, having been there, why they feel they have as much right to run the world as we do. Right. Um, you know, why not? They're big, they're powerful, they're tech technologically advanced, they're, everything works. Um, and that reflects back. Mm -hmm. uh, so why, you know, I think since um, you know, since the, the, the Cold War ended, it's become, you know, a bit questionable why America has an automatically uh, higher moral position in the hierarchy of things. Um, Which is all questionable at the present moment. And there's a huge shift going um, on, isn't there? Like, you know, yeah. the, the pack has been reshuffled. And it's going to be very, very interesting how the cards are played out because we're definitely seeing a transition around the world right now. And I think, you know, in looking at what power is, is, um, you know, subject to, you know, to, to conversation and perspective of how are you empowering your people? 
because if your people are empowered and they have the opportunity of enrichment, then I think you really have a very powerful country. If uh, going the other way, which seems to be that China might be when building up of the army and everything else, going back to kind of an old paradigm of dictatorship. So it's a very interesting time. And I think this is where music really is something that really does need to unite us, most certainly needs to um, to become a statement for us at this particular time, because I think music at the present moment is the only harmony that we actually have in this transition that's going on. Yeah, and it's interesting to recall if you're, you know, at, at one time, uh, Russia was so anti-jazz that it was literally Ill illegal to uh, listen to Voice of America on the radio. Wow. Um, now it's, um, uh, you know, I noticed, again, this was, you know, just only playing in Moscow. We played a, a large auditorium, a thousand people, and we also played a jazz club. Now it's really quite fashionable um, amongst young professionals that, that that's kind of, um, you know, I don't want you to be cynical about their liking music that, that I like, but I think it's also, you know, a bit of a status symbol, you know, that, yeah. that we're, we're this Western, we're this sophisticated, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not outsiders anymore. We're right. insiders. We're, you know, we're, we're with it. And, uh, yeah, the, so, the advancement is in culture as well yeah. as, yeah, no. yeah. So, um, so, so it really surprised you, the reception that you had there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So music is, it re really is a bridge. Yeah. And, and it always was. I mean, one, the, 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 there's an interesting backstory to our um, trip to Poland last year, in 2018. We went there. It was the 60th anniversary of my father's 1958 tour, which was during the height of the Cold War. It was two years after the 1956 Hungarian Revolution, uh, you know, which really had a huge impact beyond uh, just Hungary. So there, you know, there was a lot of hostility and mistrust between the, the, the U.S. and uh, not only the Soviet Union, but the satellite countries behind the Iron Curtain. Now, I was on that trip. I was 10 years old. And it was my first appearance on stage was, you know, as a little kid, literally being pushed out there <laughs> by, by the people who were handling the tour because they were so impressed that this uh, American star, Dave Brubeck, trusted them enough to bring uh, right. two of his children and his wife. So that, that, that was an amazing PR moment which was not planned. Uh, you know, we did not know that this would happen. And it just, but, but it just totally um, changed the, 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 the vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. it, and the Polish people, again, talking about music as a bridge, uh, one of the most moving things about that trip uh, didn't happen in, on stage at all. I went to the Solidarity Museum in Szczecin, 
solidarity was the uh, movement that led to uh, Polish independence. But it had a long history, and they have a museum on the site where uh, Polish demonstrators <clears throat> were shot down by Soviet and uh, Polish police in, in 1970. Well, now that area has become a, a park. There's a monument there, and there's also a museum that is what we call a narrative museum. Mm -hmm. So as you enter it, okay, you know the ending because the museum is there, you know, it has a happy ending. There's Poland. It's a, it's a country that, you know, whatever its politics are, which are not the best at the moment, but it is a free country. The Polish people are electing governments and they're not just uh, puppets of the Soviet Union. Um, and that's a desirable outcome. The first thing you see, though, when you go into it, which is kind of going into a tunnel, it's literally underground. They're reminding you that freedom started underground. Yes, it starts at the roots. Yeah. everything right right but also underground in the sense that you don't have people like you on the air talking right. about freedom you yes. know they're talking about practice or you know whatever soviets would allow them to talk about you go underground the very first exhibit the very first vitrine is an old-fashioned shortwave radio which was what we had before there was the internet mm. as a way of contacting the outside world. And above that is a, the cover of a program with a cartoon of my father, Dave Brubeck, and the information about the concert in, in Polish. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, wow, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that, that really hit us. What yes. they're saying is the beginning of the freedom movement was when people started tuning into jazz. Wow. Talk about influence. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a freedom movement anyway, but it right. was a way of situating it culturally. It was turning west rather than east. It was wanting something that was forbidden. Yeah. But getting it anyway. You know, they're, they're all, all, the, all those uh, levels of it. And there it was, like so graphically up front. Um, so, so if you, know, you think about it, the Brubeck family has had quite an enormous amount of influence on changes of freedom. Yeah. Well, that's what our book is called. Uh, it's called "Playing the Changes." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a film that's being made about us too, a documentary film. Not so don't ask, well, who's playing? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can play you, Darius. You have to play yourself. <laughs> well, I don't know, Jeff Goldblum, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> it's, um, <clears throat> it's a documentary that started in Poland in uh, November of last year. They shattered us on, on our whole tour. And that was meant to be just a documentary about the Poland thing, but the uh, producer and director asked us, well, you know, what's our next big trip? And uh, that was to South Africa this year in, in 2019. 
And then, of course, the conversation, well, why did, why did we, why were we going to South Africa? And, you know, and we explained that and said, oh, well, this is great. And they uh, followed us uh, to Johannesburg, Durban, Cape Town, Stellenbosch, and interviewed a lot of uh, musicians and academics, former students, journalists. So it's all putting together, you know, like you said, this, um, you know, <laughs> we just happened to pop up at moments in history that, uh, you know, so we, we can't claim to have caused the changes, but we are certainly shifted them there. We yeah. were there and mm -hmm. we were playing the changes. Well, people don't realize that change doesn't have to be this big crescendo. It's a nudge sometimes or a different perspective and showing a different direction for people to go in and then they gather their own momentum after that but you know change is, is a thought a pause a comma an insight and you know that's what builds up to the bigger changes so for music to be that influence which we went you know right back to the beginning how music is our language is our yeah. communication the thing is the mind gets in the way with all programming chatter you know, of expectation, of dictation, of what things should be. But when music speaks to the heart and the soul and the spirit of you, it's speaking the truth and it's igniting that truth within you. Therefore, it changes the mind. And it's that's that. the beauty and the power of music. Right. So we've got to keep playing. Now, you showed your um, new CD cover there, and mm. that is of the trip of Poland or the music from there? Yeah. Yeah, we, okay, here it is again. We, um, it's funny though, it's like seeing it in a mirror, isn't it? Yeah. Are, are you Are you reading it? Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. And, and it will also be up there on, on the YouTube anyway. Yeah. And, and for other people, please come back to the blog. You're going to see everything there, right? Okay. So anyway, that, uh, yeah, we played six concerts. They were all complete sellouts uh the reception was marvelous uh, what was especially moving for me were of course there were some very old people from 1958 oh yeah <laughs> you know there were a few who made it uh you know back and i think it was kind of being present at the at present at the those concerts, it was kind of like a victory lap for them. They were kind of, mm -hmm. you know, I, I I hope anyway, you know. I was there at the beginning, yeah, and, and I'm it, now here yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and bringing their children and grandchildren, yes. and yes. Um, you know, maybe reminding people that that they'd been on, on a hell of a journey from 1958 through 89 to where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think this is, no, no. I think this is something that we miss here in North America. I'm from the UK. I've lived in South Africa. I've traveled quite extensively. Europe has this history that you can see, you can touch. And it's the memory of what was, to what is now is very clear in north america you know everything is so renewed so fast that we don't actually hold on to that history and understand 
the historical changes and the effects that they are having on on our today but you know as you said going into going in underground there and then seeing the impact that that concert had you know uh, on it being a shift being you know igniting something in people that it meant so much that they put it up there and I think this is respect for a start what, yeah. what a wonderful respect but it but it also just shows us that we go through life hoping hoping that we're doing something that has a positive impact on somebody yeah. that it helps someone else to go back to something like that and see it and go wow you know, yeah. that one concert, how it changed, you know, to go back to South Africa and be interviewing and, and playing with the, with your old students, you know, yeah. and, you know, all of that just kind of shows um, a life well chosen and, and, and you had a positive impact. And isn't that what we all want to look for in life that we count, we've contributed and that we made a difference. Yes. Right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> We don't set out to do it, but it, you know, it, because you've, you've followed your passion, you know, you've been true to who you are, your music, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the importance of it, you know, what it meant to you and you've passed that on. You know, it's not that you just played technically and it was all very good. You always put your heart and soul into it. And so when it's heard, you know, it ignites the heart and soul in other people. And so the message is received, whether it's the same dialogue or not, it, that doesn't matter messages right. received and so yeah. because you've been true to you and yes Catherine is a wonderful advocate she is you know your cheerleader your rock you know your right hand woman um and you've picked a wonderful partner there to go through life with this because she's just as passionate about your music and your journey you know uh, as you are and so it's wonderful to have somebody by your side like that but if you weren't committed to it and this is why I love interviewing musicians your commitment to your music is 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 your commitment to your soul yeah, right yeah. it's your heart language and this is why musicians right it's so important for us to listen to the music and to know the musician's story because it helps us look something inside ourselves and find something within ourselves and listen to the music in a way where we really truly feel the message and then once we feel it, we hear it, and it ignites something within us and puts us on a different path. So thank you for, you know, honoring your path and not deviating from it, but expanding on it and leaving such a, a, a wonderful legacy around the world. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for saying all that. Most welcome. And the music, as I said, it's so easy to listen to. It just... It's so relaxing, but at the same time, as you said, you find your shoulders grooving and, and it, it just lightens you up or, or, or it, it makes you have a perspective. But it's kind of that music that if you get what I mean here, you don't have to listen to to hear. You hear it. You know, it can even be in the background while you're working. And while you're working, it's just stimulating you and uh, just playing, you know, just keeping you on track or lifting you up or taking you down that one particular road. So I, you know, I invite everyone to listen to the music. We've got three songs here right now, which they can, but when is the new CD coming out and how can people get hold of it? Also, how can they download all of your other songs? So can you give us that information, please? The um, official launch date is uh, going to be December 14th. 
the group is playing at the Jazz Cafe in Camden Town in London, which is a, a, a very big venue. And I don't, when, when is this going out? Um, this goes out this week, uh, next week, so November yeah. 12th. Yeah, okay. So you can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yet, but how do people yeah. look out for it? Is it? Okay. Do they get it through your okay. site? Um, uh, no, not directly. I'm, I'm, I might get around to putting up a, a link. It's on Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Records, which is a UK label. It's a South African word, by the way. Right, Ubuntu, yes. <laughs> uh, that's... Yeah, that's that's how you'll be able to get it. And certainly when it is officially released, there'll be information at DariusBruvec.com. There's also that that's my my personal website. There's uh, the Darius Brubeck Quartet. It has a Facebook band page. And don't worry, we'll we'll be doing our best to make sure people know. <laughs> right. Uh, get it. But it's not just that music, which has those three songs on it, but it also is all of your other music. People can download, download it and get it from iTunes and everything else. So there's plenty up there on all of your other music and, and uh, your trips and your concerts and everything else as well. In the Spanish Mode is from an album called Years Ago, which is by the same group. And before that, there was a CD called Kathy's Summer. Which, mm -hmm. which is the one I have, yes. Yeah, the one, one you have. So, yeah, it's, it's all going to be out there online, and, and depending on where you are, there'll be different ways of getting it. Um, but I think if you remember, just, you know, just remember my name and Ubuntu Records if you want a physical CD. Um, and the, the downloading thing is sort of taken over that yeah. so you know, I think that that's what makes it easy for for everybody right but, yes but yeah. I always I, I always want to make a real CD to me it's uh, the tangible thing yes <laughs> yeah we, you know at the very least we can take them to gigs and then yeah. uh, you know when people buy them they you can sign they, them you know, so we, you know, we yeah. find them and, and uh, that's a good way to meet people and they give us feedback on you know what they liked and that's that that that's nice but i you know i suppose that won't last forever pretty soon it'll just all be downloaded yes unfortunately we are going to that digital world where everything yeah. is but um but it also makes it accessible for people that means it's on their phone as they're driving <laughs> or as they're walking yeah. they can just play a song and you know or, you know play a piece that you know it's the, they've got no excuse. So I have nowhere near a CD player. Mm, it's on your phone. <laughs> Just click <Yeah>. play. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And of course, you know, people can find you here at um, selfdiscoverymedia.com. Just put in your name, Darius Brubeck, and you will find his posting here. Please come and have a look at it because not only does it tell you more about him and his history, etc., but it has all the links on there, plus those three songs um, for you to listen to and, uh, you know, get more of the feeling and don't forget to share it. You know, um, music is really, really, really important. And I think at this particular time in life, just it's very interesting. Your music has had such uh, an impact in times of conflict and trouble and change in South Africa, you know, in Poland, and who knows where else. Um, 
And that just shows how impactful music really is in changing one's psyche and changing one's perspective of giving people the courage to know that things can change. So obviously your music is a life changer. So uh, if it can do it for Africa and it can do it for Poland, it can do it for us. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing with me here today, Darius. It's been a delight and uh, it was wonderful to actually meet you. It was mm quite funny because I had not seen Catherine in 44 years yeah. which I yeah. never realized it was that long but I've of course been living in Canada for the last 39 years so yeah. you know we're all around the world we really are but I look forward to seeing you all again when I come back next year and keep on playing please the music is really wonderful and clearly you're a person who is a, a game changer out there so just keep influencing and keep inviting because we need to hear that music Thank you very much, Sarah. Okay. And love to Kathy. Okay. Great. All right, folks. Until next time, please listen to this music as we close out. Nomali, uh, get into the, group, uh, the groove and the beat. Come back to the posting and listen to the other songs. Don't forget to go to his site, DariusBrubeck.com, and download some of the other music. I promise you it will have a wonderful effect on how you feel. Don't forget to share it because you must always share the goodwill. Until next time, folks. Bye for now.
We hope that you enjoyed the show and were inspired to come and visit us at selfdiscoverymedia.com and see what other shows we have for you. And please do visit our selfdiscoverycommunity.org and see how you can be a part of giving back. Thank you very much.